This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm David Stein. When I'm not talking to other people about money on Money for the Rest of Us, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and man, oh man, do we have a great show for you today. We start off April with special guest and one of our favorite people, Kristen Wong. Kristen's here to talk about getting out of the oh cycle with your money. My kind of topic. Plus, we'll have headlines about interest rates going up, but not in your brokerage account, and about guaranteed annuities. Is guaranteed money for life finally gaining traction? I love it! That's exactly why I play the lottery every week. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline, answer a listener letter, and top it off with some genius trivia. Genius! But now, two guys who, when you put them together, make up about half a genius, and that's probably stretching it, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Look who's talking there, man. Well, see, but here's the deal. If you take half a genius, which you are, and you multiply it by half a genius, which I am, we have a... Quarter genius? If you multiply them, you're multiplying them, right? Dang it. (laughs) Never mind. My math doesn't work. Yeah. Math. I've been accused of being good at math. Welcome to the Math is Not Our Strong Suit uh, podcast. I'm Joe Salcii, Average Joe Money on Twitter. I think half times a half is full. Are you really eating while we're while we're doing this? No, 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 I'm done. I'm like cleaning my teeth now. Yeah, that's I got that stuff in my teeth. Fantastic audio. Great great work. Mm, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> mm, it's a great role into saying though that uh, support for Stacky Benjamins comes to us from TurboTax Live. 
new from TurboTax. Now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or an EA. Get this, OG, right on your screen. Talk live with a tax expert as often as you need for tax advice to help you file with confidence. Go to TurboTaxLive.com slash SB. Thanks also to LegalZoom for supporting Stacking Benjamins with the business legal plan from LegalZoom. You're going to get advice for your business from independent attorneys and tax pros without it being billed by the hour since LegalZoom's not a law firm. Check it out today at LegalZoom.com and for special savings, enter SB at checkout, LegalZoom.com. We've got a great show today. We're not going to be talking taxes. We're going to talk about breaking out of the cycle breaking out of that. Oops, I spent more money than I have cycle. Kristen Wong has a fantastic new book about gamifying your finance. One of my favorite writers, one of my favorite people. So very excited. We got Kristen coming down to the basement, but first we got a couple headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. First headline comes to us from the Wall Street Journal, little known publication. Never heard of it. Yeah. This is written by Jason Zwieg. Uh, Brokers to investors, your cash ain't nothing but trash. Mm-hmm. It's just, he knows how to write a title, by the way. Yep. Every, and it's not clickbaity. It is, it is not. Uh, rising interest rates aren't showing up in investors' brokerage accounts, OG. Interest rates are on the rise, but customers of brokerage firms aren't going along for the ride. Federal Reserve has driven short-term interest rates up a full percentage point since late 2016. So you would think, you would think that that cash sitting in your brokerage account is earning more. Well, guess what? But you know what is costing you more? Your margin interest. <laughs> They're doing a good but job. They, they pull one end of the string, but don't take the other. Isn't that great? So if you borrow money from your brokerage account, they're going to charge you more than they used to. But if you happen to have a bunch of money sitting in cash, mm, probably not going there. 0.01. Yep. Yeah. It says that uh, one month's treasure bills were yielding 1.6% last week, but you'd never know any of that from looking at the returns on the cash in your brokerage account. Consider the rates major brokers are paying on so-called sweep accounts, the main reservoir where they hold clients' cash. As of March 2nd, according to Crane Data, firm that monitors money market funds and other cash investments, yields on sweep accounts range from as low as 0.01 at E-Trade and 0.05 at TD Ameritrade up to, if up is the right word, I didn't write that Jason did, 0.25 at UBS and 0.25. Two seven at Fidelity. Fidelity people high fiving each other, each other yeah. because they're paying a quarter of a percent. We're screwing you less. We're <laughs> no. screwing you less. I think the I think the big lesson here is I've never seen a sweep account, which is your cash account inside a brokerage account, as a good place for your cash reserve anyway. OG, get that money invested or put it in a real cash reserve. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we used to have great rates on money market funds and and a lot of times that trickled down into the brokerage side of the equation. But, you know, over the last decade or so, banking rates, which is your normal traditional checking and savings account, have diverged from the money market rates in the brokerage account. So it's not a wise place to keep a lot of cash for a long period of time. Short periods of time, you know, it's probably more of a hassle to move it between your savings account, and your brokerage account, and back to your savings account, back to your brokerage account. But if you're uh, if you're just waiting to deploy that for an investment, fine place to keep it. But if it's truly cash reserve money, there's way better places to find uh, better interest rates. Yeah, and to your point, even when it paid better, it still was not a good place. 
You know, even when it paid 1% or 1.5% when money markets were paying 5 Money markets were paying five. I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking back in like 2001. (laughs) When I went way back, I meant way Way, back. Way, way back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got a bunch of millennials going. What are you talking about? 2001. 2001. Huh? So, uh, lesson there move that. Cash reserve is not your brokerage account, Mm -mm. probably. Second headline comes to us from Napa-Net, the National Association of Plan Advisors, the people that manage 401ks, IRAs. Uh, those people. This written by Ted Godbow. New study out, OG, says interest in guaranteed lifetime income solutions gaining momentum. Concerns about healthcare costs and running out of money in the later stages of retirement has led to increased interest in guaranteed lifetime income solutions, the findings in a new survey show. In fact, 73% of survey respondents now consider guaranteed income as a, quote, highly valuable addition to Social Security, compared to 61% a year ago, according to the fourth annual Guaranteed Lifetime Income Study from Greenwald & Associates and Canex. Study of 1,003 pre-retirees and retirees aged 55 to 75 with more than 100,000 household assets was fielded in February. Well, of course the interest is high in this. I I have a high interest in guaranteed income. Do you? I do. but I would love to have guaranteed income. Yeah. If you walked up to me and said, would you like a guaranteed paycheck? Uh, Yeah. Almost like sure. Doug playing the not a good strategy on Doug's part playing the lottery to get his guaranteed income. But I think everybody dreams of if I can get money for free and to and not have any risk, never have it run out. Sign me up. But the big the big difference here, though, I mean, in one year, sixty one percent to seventy three percent. So we had Laura Minchez on from Blueprint, and you know the work that Blueprint Income's doing on kind of remodeling this annuity industry. Do you think that's having any effect or is it the stock market shaking? What do you think the rationale is for this big increase in people going, yeah, sign me up for guarantees? I don't know what would be the big increase in the interest in it. I think it could be the wording of the questions for all we know, you know, if they didn't ask the exact same questions. But I think it's really misleading because obviously everybody's interested in guaranteed income. And even if you're staring down retirement and you're in your late fifties, early sixties, and you're thinking, okay, I got, I'm pulling the ripcord here in the next, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years. The urge is to sit down and do your budget and look and say, well, we make $5,000 or we need $5,000 a month to live on. We're getting 2,500 from social security. Oh, we should just get 2,500 from a guaranteed income thing. And it sounds really sexy. And there's many a rubber chicken dinner seminar going on about $2,500 incomes to supplement Social Security. The problem, of course, is inflation. Your income doesn't increase with these products. Sometimes they do, very few and far between. And years later, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later, and if you're looking at a 30 or 35-year retirement, inflation is just going to crush you in that whole grand scheme of things. I want to dig into why people are worried because they ask them these questions, and this is some interesting data. More than half of the respondents, 54%, express concern about being able to afford long-term health care expenses or losing a portion of their retirement savings in a market downturn, 52%. So long-term care comes out on top. Not surprising. Yeah. Long-term health care costs, right? Not well, long-term care. yeah. Long-term health care costs. Yes. Well, but, and how is a guaranteed income stream going to solve that? My health insurance has gone up every year for the last, I don't know, 20 years. I'm th- assuming yours has. I think the way that it solves it is instead of working with a pool of assets that is finite, 
I have an unlimited stream of money so that even if my finite pool of assets goes bye-bye, I still am going to have money after the issue. So we talk about married couples, right? I get really sick. What's my spouse going to do if I go through the whole bankroll? Yeah, if you're talking about a, a long-term care issue like Alzheimer's or something like that, I can see what you're talking about. If you're talking about the cost of healthcare, right, and premiums and prescription drugs and that sort of thing, I mean, it solves it in the short term. And I can see what you're saying. It's impossible for me to run out, you know, run it out, so to speak. But if all I'm gets twenty five thousand dollars a year, my healthcare costs are fifty thousand this year. I still can't afford it. Still, yeah, it doesn't matter how much. How much of it is guaranteed? The market downturn, I mean, maybe that number is bigger, the 61 to 73% who are looking at guaranteed income, almost like when I was in Vegas, right? You, you got some money, baby. You've had a great run up in the stock market. Let's lock it in with some guarantees now. Yeah, maybe. I can see that. But again, if you're thinking throughout retirement, the chances are pretty high that 20 years from now, the market will be higher. Chances are pretty good that 10 years from now, the market will be not, higher. Not surprisingly, individuals without pension income are more likely to be highly sure. concerned about outliving their retirement savings compared to those with pension income, which the authors know is an important consideration as a proportion of people who retire with a pension decreases each year. At the bottom of this piece, I'm going to skip ahead. We'll link to it in our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. But at the bottom of the piece, a header says, just don't call them annuities. In evaluating lifetime income products, two-thirds of respondents rated the benefit of, quote, protection against longevity risk, peace of mind, and making it easier to budget, end quote, as positives, while, quote, access and too many terms and conditions were the top negative. A strong majority of respondents, 70%, believe financial advisors have a responsibility to discuss guaranteed lifetime income to meet their retirement needs. 70% of people say, oh, gee, that you should talk to them about why we wouldn't take a guaranteed approach. And 100% of those 70% would run screaming for the hills if people went through and actually disclosed all of the downsides associated with these products. Yeah, yeah. How bad those guarantees stink. Like for you, you're saying you don't discuss it every meeting because it's a waste of time. No, it's a tool like anything else, right? People rage against whole life insurance that they rage against annuities or whatever because that's their, you know, their shtick, I suppose. But we've said at the end of the day, there are no bad products. There's just bad applications of the product. And so there is a fit for this. It's a limited scope fit, but it, there is a fit for it. And there's right people that it's for. I don't think that it's the number is 70%. <laughs> I don't know that it's that high. But when it's appropriate, if you're working with a good advisor who is not motivated by commission or isn't motivated by product placement, you're going to get the... Uh, you know, whatever the best solution is, regardless of what it's called. I think our takeaways here, based on what you're saying, number one is that the guaranteed income might be a solution, but not the panacea people may be looking for. Would that be correct? Sure. And then second is looking for a cash reserve. Make sure that's not your brokerage account cash, because it is now and has always been a horrible place to keep cash. Kristen Wong coming down to the basement. I remember when I first met Kristen and she was writing at that time, which she still does for Lifehacker. And uh, I thought, this is a big time author. 
And I'm so happy that this woman who's written extensively, not just at Lifehacker, but at uh, little places like the New York Times, New York Magazine, NBC News, Business Insider, Forbes, MSN Money. She finally has a book out. And man, is this thing a powerhouse. The book is called Get Money. We're not going to talk about that. There's one section I really, really love, and it's this cycle you and I see people in all the time called the oh cycle. And I thought you were going to say it's a cycle you and I are in all the time. Like, <laughs> preach on, brother. We're going to... We're going to talk about that with Kristen. And what's funny is, is that, uh, well, let, let's let's talk to her. Kristen Wong, coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs, Kristen Wong. Kristen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so happy you include us on your book tour. How cool is it to see another title with your name on it? It is pretty cool, and it's pretty cool here to be in your mom's basement. <laughs> I've got a couple of questions about you first. I love your Twitter handle, The Wild Wong. I always think that's so awesome. <laughs> Where did you come up with that? My brother-in-law calls me that, or he called me that, and I was like, I'm sticking with that. It sounds cool. But I feel like I don't live up to the moniker. I'm not wild <laughs> enough. I don't, I don't think of you when I meet you as The Wild Wong. But then I see the wild Wong and I think of that old Iggy Pop song, the wild one. I don't know if yes. you know. Yeah. So yes. good stuff. So let's start off here. Is it true you thought Santa Claus was a real a-hole? Yeah, I did. <laughs> because, I mean, in the book, I talk about this, but my mom, you know, I mean, we were very, my mom was flat out poor growing up. I know a lot of people throw that word around, but my mom was poor and she grew up borderline homeless. So when in the very, very early part of my childhood, I experienced some of that. And as a kid, you grow up in America and you think like, oh, Santa Claus brings me presents. That's going to be amazing. So Christmas comes, (laughs) rolls around. My mom's like, wow, crap, I don't have money to get Kristen anything. So there are no presents. We just have a nice tree. And so on Christmas morning, I ask her, hey, why did Santa not come? And she says, hey, you know, my mom is a very, she's a hard, resolute Chinese immigrant. She's like, he, you think he has time for everybody? That's, that's what she told me. And I was like, okay, fair enough. He's busy. I get it. He's a very busy man. And then so later on that day, we're watching a football game and I see Santa Claus drop in on the football game. And I was like, he has time. I said, he has time to watch football, but he doesn't have time to come bring me presents. <laughs> My mom was at a loss. I was like three or four years old. She's like, oh, I don't know what to say. Santa Claus, Santa Claus playing favorites and you're not one of them. I know. That's how it goes. But what's funny, that story, your mom didn't tell you ahead of time, didn't like warn you that there might not be anything under the tree. Like, it seems like she might have thought about that a little bit, Kristen, before Christmas Day. Thank you. Yes. We should get my mom on the line here. I, I mean, I that's what I thought. Like you you should have foreseen this. You should have seen this coming. I'm understanding, but a little warning would have been nice. But, but <laughs> I she, think she was busy, you know? Yeah. Like she didn't she probably thought, you know, I don't have time to deal with this. Well, it'll be a good Christmas and hopefully she hopefully Kristen won't ask, but I asked. It sounds like though your mom taught you some important life lessons though. I mean, there's there's some real value to growing up poor. I mean, you learn a lot from it. And I, I, I've written a post about this back in the day about romanticizing poverty, which I think a lot of us tend to do is we think you can only learn these, you know, epic personal finance lessons by going through really difficult times. But going through difficult times teaches you some lessons, right? Like my mom, I grew up really learning that every cent matters, every penny 
you save matters. She told me that. And she was able to, through that philosophy, get out of a really bad situation, save up, go to night school, afford us a better life. She still is a very frugal person. And, you know, she taught me a lot of lessons that I still carry with me and I think have helped my finances tremendously. And I think a lot of that is, you know, she did. She grew up, she had a hard life growing up. She was very, she was poor. And I, you know, our family was broke growing up. And we learned, you know, I saw my parents firsthand, I saw my parents go from being broke to being like middle class. And that was a really cool transformation to be able to witness because I saw firsthand how significantly an impact money can have on somebody's life, you know? Yeah. And what, well, in the value of hard work, right? I mean, the whole idea exactly. of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps that you can do that. You can. Yeah. I mean, my mom certainly did that. And it, you know, I mean, I, everybody's situation is different. I'm far be it for me to say, you know, what worked for my parents or what worked for me is going to work for everybody. But I know that it worked for them. You know, I know that that was something they did and I could see I could kind of learn their lessons vicariously through them and apply them to my own life. You weren't able to gamify your finances. I mean, it seems like on that day-to-day thing growing up, right? There's no way in hell this is a game. This is real life every single day. Yeah, in your book, your book is all, it's organized around this idea of gamifying your finances. Why did you decide on that approach? Yeah, well, I think first I'll explain a little bit about gamification and just like it's, you know, it's nothing new. It's a tool that businesses and companies have been using for decades to make otherwise boring tasks a little bit more engaging and motivating. And when you complete those tasks, like you want to keep going with it, like the McDonald's Monopoly sweepstakes is a good example of this. Like buying McDonald's French fries is not well, I mean, I guess it's semi-exciting, but it's not super exciting. But somehow when there's like this Monopoly game, you want to buy those fries and you're going to do this and you feel in charge. Right. And I'm going to buy the and I'm going to buy the medium ones because I get the ticket versus the small one where I don't get the ticket. Right. Of course. Of course. But, you know, that's a perfect thing to apply to personal finance because I think most of us feel completely out of control of their finances. We feel like there's a lot of anxiety and stress around our financial life. And so when you kind of gamify something, you take a lot of that anxiety out of it and you feel more empowered and you feel more in control of it. So my goal with the book was to help people feel like they're winning at money a little bit more as they get through the book. Now, I admit that is much harder to do when you are actually struggling and it's not a game. But you know, there's still value in seeing it that way if you can. That's the ironic part. I mean, a lot of people say that about personal finance in general. It's like when you're really broke and struggling to get by and, you know, you are making below the living wage, like you don't have time to deal with personal finance. You don't have time to learn any of this, which is a fair point. But I also think the ironic part is you need it more than ever at that point, right? Like you need that mindset and that psychological shift more than ever at that point. There are fewer things you can control at that point. So I think you really have to focus on what you can control when you're super struggling. You well, know? And I love where you start with this, though, Kristen, in the book. I love the fact that you start with what you call the oh cycle, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I was just at lunch with Cheryl, my spouse, and I was talking about this concept of the oh cycle. I'm like, how many years did we live in the oh cycle? Like we lived in this cycle forever and ever. Tell everybody about the oh cycle. Yeah. I mean, I still live in the oh cycle sometimes, <laughs> right, to be honest. Right. It's just, you know, a different part of the cycle. But this oh cycle is pretty much the paycheck to paycheck cycle, but it's like describes it in a psychological way of just like you get paid. Oh, shit, I'm rich. And you have like this illusion of wealth where money is kind of burning a hole in your pocket. So you spend frivolously. I'm not saying you go out and, you, you know, you're buying a 
expensive car, you're buying a $500 pair of boots or something like that. But you, you go to Chipotle and you order the extra guac and you're like, yeah, of course I want, you don't think about it. I mean, who cares? It's 75 cents, right? But you say yes to all those things and it adds up because you have this illusion of wealth. You don't think about money. You don't track it. You're spending like a king. Then, oh, my bills are due and I don't have enough money to cover them. Rent is due. I barely have enough to cover them. I have to dip into my savings or, oh, shit, I'm going to have to put this on a credit card. So then you regret everything and you think, you know what? I really need to get my stuff together. I need to be a responsible adult and I got to break this cycle. And then you get paid again. You think, oh, shit, I'm rich. And the cycle just keeps repeating itself over and over. And I still do this sometimes now. Like, you know, I did the bad thing where I was like, I'm going to spend a little bit of money before I have it coming. My husband and I were worried because we're like, oh, we got to pay the mortgage and all this. And we don't, I don't want to have to dip into our emergency fund. How did we end up spending money before we had it? We, you write about money. You shouldn't be doing this, you know? And then I thought like, oh, you know what? I got another paycheck coming. It's hard when you're a freelancer because your income varies. But I was like, I got another paycheck coming. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. And I recognized in that moment, it was just like this, cycle just had inflated with our lifestyle. You know, I think we can all kind of relate to the ocean cycle. Yeah, It's like there's degrees of it, right? There's the mm -hmm. super duper panic when I don't have $2 to live on, but then there's the, your second level, which I don't want to tap the emergency fund. Like that's not really, mm -hmm. oh shit. That's kind of like, oh, inconvenience, I guess. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh snap. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. Or it's like, you know, oh, I'm not going to be able to put enough in my IRA this month or something like that. So yes, totally. There are varying levels of it. But your first answer to that then is, is, is what? I mean, what's the first thing that we do to come out of that cycle? I guess it depends on what level you are in it. I think if you are really struggling and you, it's like, I don't have $2 to my name. I mean, the first thing I think you need to do is track your spending. I actually think anybody can benefit from that. I did this recently just as an experiment because, you know, I, I feel like my financial system is set up pretty well for the most part. I mean, it should be, I wrote a book about money, but I wanted to track my spending and just see like, what am I spending money on? And I'm, I don't mean like just in my head, I thought, oh, I, we went out to dinner last night. So I did that mental accounting. You know, I wrote everything down. I think when you write everything down, it makes your purchases so much more tangible and you have a relationship with the things you buy somehow. And I actually talked to somebody recently who's like, I don't even budget. I just write everything down and it disgusts me to spend money so much that I just don't spend money because I have to write it down every time. And then I'm face to face with all these stupid things that I buy, you know? It's like you're carrying around the notebook of shame, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have that? Is that, do you track your spending in? I, I do, but I was going to ask you about technology. I mean, I track it with Clarity Money, but that doesn't sound like it's the same thing. Like I have it, you know, automatically tracked for me. And then we have a weekly meeting, Cheryl and I, where we go over uh, what we spent. But you're saying take a little notebook and write the stuff down immediately and you won't spend money? Yeah. But I also think that's a great idea. Like if you are tracking it digitally and you have a weekly meeting set up, that's great, you know, because you're basically doing something where you're coming to terms with your finances. And I think, you know, I track my spending on mint, but writing it down did have this extra layer, this extra, you know, quality of tangibility and you know, you are somehow more connected with something yeah. when you write it down. It feels like you're, it, it's a little bit more painful. It's like paying with cash, you know, like you are less likely to spend as much when you fork over the cold, hard cash. So I think it's the same way with writing something down. It just makes it real somehow. But I think the idea is just to spend more consciously, to be more aware of the, the crap that you're buying. So I think if you're having a weekly money meeting, that's also another way to get on the same page and kind of review your purchases, you know? But then I find out that I'm spending money in the wrong place. What do I do? Uh, stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, I think, <laughs> thank you. That's good. <laughs> We're that's all finished. All you need to know. Right. Um, no, but like focus on one thing at a time. I think there are probably multiple vices you have that you spend money on that you shouldn't be. And I think a lot of times when people are new at personal finance, they're, when they're in that part of the ocean, cycle where they're like, I need to be a responsible grown up. They just want to tackle everything and say like, I got to stop spending on all this crazy kid stuff, you know, bars, extra guac at Chipotle, whatever it may be. That stuff is great, but you want to just put a limit on it. So focus on one thing at a time. Cause if you try to do everything at once and break that cycle at once, it's commendable, but you're probably going to fail and you're going to feel even worse because you're going to feel as though you've lost it money. So focus on one thing at a time and try to go for that that quick win of I'm going to spend $100 less on restaurants this month, you know, instead of never going to spend re- money on restaurants again <laughs> in my life. You like, know? So focus on. on one thing at a time, one month at a time, I'd say. You interview uh, lots of people in your book. You have, you have little snippets with people. Most of it's you, but then you have all of these people. When you interview Paulette uh, Perhatch about, um, about emergency funds, you talk about, you, you talk about one of the first steps here is to have an oh crap, I didn't see that coming fun. I love what she had to say. What do you think about this idea of an oh crap fun? She wrote that viral article, the f*** off fund. I don't know if I may say that. <laughs> well, what's cool is I'm already racking up how many things Steve is bleeping out of our interview. This is going to be awesome. Poor Steve. <laughs> yeah, but so she, you know, her idea is like when you have that, when you have it, you know, I think there are two ways of looking at emergency funds. So when she wrote about the off fund, it was kind of like it gives you power because you can say no to things that you don't want to have to put up with it, whether it's an abusive spouse or partner or it's an abusive job or just a job you really hate. But another way of looking at it is having an emergency fund allows you to say yes to things, too. If you're family member is sick, not in a good way, you know, across the country, you can buy proximity to them with an emergency fund. You know, if you, um, if your pet is really sick and needs to, needs like some emergency surgery, my cat recently had, she had a thousand dollar medical issue. And, you know, back in the day when I was broke, I mean, I would have thought, Oh, how do I deal with this? Like what kind of homeopathic cure can I try on her? That's probably not going to work. And she's going to be in more pain, you know, but with an emergency fund, I could say, Oh, poor Theo, let's get her that care as soon as possible. So she doesn't have to suffer. So, you know, it just, it allows you to say no to things and it allows you to say yes to things, but having an, Oh crap, I didn't see that coming fun just gives you power because it doesn't have to put strain, unnecessary strain on you mentally and financially. You, you talk about lots of ways to save money in the book. Also early on, you talk about uh, energy tiers, some tips like buying your internet modem, things people don't think about having a smart power strip, power timers, but, mm-hmm. but you also talk about haggling bills. And I was curious as I was reading this, tell me about a bill that you haggled, Kristen, because with all your work with Lifehacker, I would think you've probably haggled four or five bills in your day. I tried to haggle one recently, which was my homeowner's insurance, and I called, and they they were going to lower my bill because, I don't know, they thought we had the same insurance, and then my husband called, that, and they said, you know, we just need your policy number, and my husband had his policy number, so he called, and he tried to haggle, and it didn't work, and I was like, let me try this, and I called <laughs> again, and it didn't work. So sometimes it doesn't work, but you know what, I've haggled so many bills successfully, my favorite one and least favorite is uh, cable or internet. I don't have cable anymore, but you know I have internet. And every six months they hike your rate up because you you end the promotional period or whatever. I'm like, what is the promotional period? I've been with you for five years. The honeymoon is over. Come on, 
I'm a loyal customer. So you have to call and go through this whole song and dance. But it's gotten, I would say, if you haven't done this in the past six months or so, call your cable or internet bill and ask them for a lower rate because chances are they can give it to you. Look for a promotional rate that they're offering customers online because they'll give that to you too. You have to make a little bit of a stink about it. I'm very nice usually, you know, when I'm haggling with them on the phone. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask you what some of the keys are to haggling successfully because I'm sure a lot of people do it wrong. You want to be polite, you know, like it's just nice to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you also, it's easier to get what you want, I think, when you're polite but stern about it. So what you have to do is you have to ask for the rate. Tell them, hey, I've been a good customer. Can you do anything about this rate? So what they'll do is they'll offer you some other BS rate that you don't really want and say, oh, we'll throw in all these channels that you're not going to watch. So just say no. And then you have to threaten to cancel in a very polite way. Just, you know what? This isn't in my budget. I'm going to have to cancel. And they will send you to their cancellation department, which is actually just another person who's going to convince you to stay. And they'll finally give you what you want. They're like, let me type in some numbers to our machine. <laughs> And they're like, oh, you know what? We can give you that rate. So you just have to kind of, you know, hold out for a bit. That's and if they so, say, you know what? It's we'll, so annoying. We'll it's so annoying that you have to do that. But I think they, the thing is, I think they count on so many people not doing that because it takes 10 minutes. But you know what? It takes 10 minutes out of your day, but you continue to save month after month. So it's kind of like a one, one and done kind of thing. But I think they count on so many people not doing it. And, you know, they make a lot of money that way. Another thing you can do is, I don't know if you, you probably know this, but like they, rent out your modem for you, your internet modem for you. I they saw that. You an, I saw that in your book. That's so annoying. It's like six or sometimes 10 or $11 a month. They charge you to rent out your internet modem. And I only figured this out because an editor had assigned me a story where he's like, just dissect your, all of your bills and see what charges are BS and that you can haggle down. And that was one of them. I was like, what is this rental fee? They're like, Oh, that's for the courtesy of renting your modem. Like I just, I'll buy a modem. I'm good. You know? So that's one way. If you, if you see that on your bill, like just go to go on eBay and buy an internet modem and you can get rid of that monthly. Yeah. Cause your, your crossover point is not that far away. What? Six to eight months, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only annoying thing is sometimes they make you take it back to their, you know, little drop off centers. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but it's like hell's waiting room. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's horrible. Everybody there is miserable and they make you wait so long. So it's a it's a deterrent. But I've heard some people will if they cancel cable or they return those modem, like they'll hire somebody from TaskRabbit to do it for like, you know, and, and then I feel bad for the TaskRabbit. But I'm like, better it's, you than me, buddy. I know <laughs> it's it sounds like it's like the DMV, but only slower. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of describing it. That's awesome. The book is Get Money, Live the Life You Want, Not Just the Life You Can Afford. The, and you know what? We just started on the book. You talk about optimizing things, how to break up with your bank, deconsumerize your brain. Love to talk about that. Uh, join the 800 Club. We're talking credit scores. Supercharge your debt payoff plan. Take the fear out of tax day. Build a lazy investment portfolio. Negotiate like a shark or at least a piranha. Do the side hustle. Boost your money goal. Where can people get this? Everywhere? Everywhere, you know, bookstores, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, anywhere you buy books, and apparently your mom's basement. Apparently, well, we have one, but I'm keeping we have this one. one. Copy. Right? Okay, okay. <laughs> Kristen, thanks a lot for hanging out. And by the way, if you're walking uh, your dog, or you're on your morning run, or you're on your way to work, we'll have a link to Kristen's book on our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. Thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Of course, thank you so much for having me. Hey there, trivia fans, and welcome to April. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and no joking around here, we're going to get you today's trivia question stat. 
which, believe it or not, is about the month of April in a city that makes a whole lot of money this month. Which city's biggest event is a huge fiesta later this month that has the economic impact of $340 million for the area? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. Support for Stacking Benjamins comes from TurboTax Live, new from TurboTax. Now, get this, you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or an EA right on your screen. How cool is that? Quickly connect to a tax expert via one-way video as often as you need for answers and advice on your taxes as you're completing them. You can even have an expert review your return before you hit that file button, make any necessary changes, and it's all backed with a 100% accuracy guarantee. File with complete confidence. Connect with the TurboTax Live expert today at TurboTaxLive.com SB. You know this already, attorneys are expensive. That's why smart business owners turn to LegalZoom. Over 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom to start their businesses with LLCs and corporation and more. But LegalZoom can still help after your business is set up with their business legal plan. With it, you get legal advice from independent attorneys and tax professionals without being charged by the hour because LegalZoom's not a law firm. Check out the business legal plan at LegalZoom.com now and get special savings when you enter SB at checkout, LegalZoom.com. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm back with today's amazing trivia answer. The question was this, which city's biggest event is a huge fiesta later this month? It also has the impact of $340 million for the area. If you said Indiana's Rising Sun Quilt Fest, you'd be off by just a couple of dollars. But if you said San Antonio, you've started April on the right foot. See ya! City not that far from you or I, and uh, neither one of us got it right. Swing and a miss. I said San Fe. <laughs> yeah, I heard Fiesta. Still didn't get it. Man, I don't know. I don't know. Just, uh, of course, it's funny. We moved to Texas. I thought six hours away, that is way too far away. No, I'm like, six hours away? Not that big a deal. Just down the road. Distances are way, way different here than they were when I lived in Michigan. Michigan, mm-hmm. if you lived on the other side of Detroit, I wasn't going there. No, exactly. You kidding me? And now you drive three hours for like dinner. <laughs> You're in Livonia. I can't go like 35 minutes. That'd be horrible. Can't we meet somewhere else? Yeah. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, OG, and tackle some of life's or in this case, life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things more than any other that you value the most. Interest rate on my cash reserve and annuities, baby. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, guaranteed. Guarantees. Don't call it annuity. Guaranteed income payout products. I don't know. It's maybe those two, or it might be your family and your time. That's why they created a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free estimate for coverage and learn about life insurance the modern way. 
let's say hello to our person we're throwing out the lifeline to. Today, we're going to throw it out to our friend, Andy. Say hi, Andy. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Andy from Fort Mill. The scenario is I'm living 100% on retirement accounts. Is it better to reverse dollar cost average or to have several years of cash sitting on the side so that I don't have to pull money out during a down market? From the numbers I've run, reverse dollar cost averaging wins every time. Just wondering what Joe's thoughts are. Thanks for the great show. Ah, the age old question when I get ready to retire and mm-hmm. I want to live on the money. Do I take it out a little bit at a time? Do I drip it out? Up, down, down market, up, up, up market, down market, who cares? Or do I take out chunks at once? I think what he's asking is, do we have that extra cash reserve buffer set aside? And this will really boil down to the ratio of distribution compared to your assets. For example, if you have a million dollars and you're trying to live on the 4% rule, right, where you're taking $40,000 a year out in the first year and increasing that with inflation, the biggest risk you run is early in this retirement plan, we experienced a 2008, 2009 again, right? That's the biggest risk where you're taking 40,000 out, so your account's down to 960 and the market goes down 52% and now you're down to 450. And if you're down to 450 and next year, Jan 1 comes around and you got to take out another 40,000, now you're down to 410. That's snow, but now you're taking out 10 or 11% of your portfolio. It's unrecoverable spin, right? So if the ratio is kind of between that 3 and 5%, I think you have to have two years worth of distributions in cash so that the other 90% of the portfolio, so effectively you're kind of like a 90-10 allocation, right? So the other 90% of the portfolio is fully invested in the market. That allows you then to withdraw, you know, withstand the ups and downs up to a certain point. And then you have to decide what that certain point is. Is it 20%? Is it 25%? Is it probably not 15? 15 is kind of an average year. And so you might say, okay, my portfolio is worth a million. I'm going to take $80,000 and put it in cash because that's two years worth of distributions. I've got 920 left. If my portfolio ever goes down to 736,000, which is roughly 20% off the 920, then I'm going to stop taking money out of my portfolio and I'm going to start taking it out of the cash reserve until I erase all of the cash reserves. So I'm going to go two years just out of cash. That's going to give that portfolio statistically long enough time to do whatever it's got to do to recover and bounce back, back to, you know, in your case, closer to a million. Again, you can kind of rinse, wash and repeat again, or wash, rinse and repeat, depending on which bottle of shampoo you look at. I can never get it straight. On the other hand, if you've got a million dollars and all you need to live on is $20,000 a year, I don't see a need to do that because your distribution rate's so low that the market has a ton of wiggle room and you're still going to be okay no matter what the market does year to year. Great stuff. Nothing to add. How about that? Just drop the mic, OG. Bam. I'm going to write this one down. Joe said he has nothing to add. (laughs) Wrote, Dear Diary, on April 2nd. It finally happened. We also get letters done here in the basement. And while you were so eloquently answering Andy's question, we got a letter from Ryan. Ryan, by the way, who says he's a father of six and he's named the group Six Peons None the Richer, which I, I think there was a band named that, wasn't there? <laughs> That's funny. My, my kids are called You Don't Have a Ferrari and Never Will. They call you that or you call them that? 
I call. Well, that's my group. Oh, that's my, your that's, group is there's your Ferrari. I got yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take a look at my shiny A12 super fast. It's right here. There it is. It's out on the look, soccer. Look how slow field. they go. Yeah. It's fantastic. Ryan says, so I have six kids. And then he uh, tells us not Mormon or Catholic, which is important to know, by the way. And my wife and I are debt-free except mortgage. We are currently yeah. saving 25% of our income and give 10% away. So curious how FI, financially independent individuals that retire early, get their income besides lame side gigs like podcasts or books. I, mean, hey, I, think, you just, uh, I think you just took a swipe at us. I know well, this isn't a side gig. It's the gig. It's the only gig. And if it made money, then maybe we could call it a side gig and be right. financially independent. But, uh, but neither of those things happen. Correct. We'll call it hobby. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, no, no. You got to take that off. We're not a hobby. Dear IRS. No, oh. not mean hobby. We, we definitely have expenses that we'd like to write off on our taxes. This is not a hobby. This is a for-profit enterprise. Let me go on the record to say that. <laughs> Good, I'm good point. My coffee. I'm like, no, 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 not, not a hobby, not a hobby. <laughs> uh, Your Honor, uh, I'd like to play the tape. No, don't play the tape. No, 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 no. no. Play the part right after it when OG <laughs> saves everybody. <laughs> I know that you could set up SCPP deductions for your 401k to keep a steady income flow. Is this the approach many are taking since it's usually your largest pile of cash? Or are they taking from a taxable account with investments? Uh, thanks for the advice and congrats on reaching 50 years old. Well, thank you. OG kind of looks older than me, but thank you very much. No, I do not. I'm looking good these days. Easy. Get the little <laughs> hair spike going. Got my new uni- uniform on. So you show me the hair spike and right behind it, I see the big balding spot. I'd rather have a balding spot than. It's like at the easy. All right. Let's talk about what, what somebody's financially independent are they setting up ways to get at that 401k money early and that's how they're doing it? Or are they establishing other well, I think, sources I think of a, cash? There's really two types of people that reach financial independence early, quote unquote, early. I define that. I don't know. But early, early retirement. Somebody who came into money unexpectedly and maybe not terribly unexpectedly, but came into a large sum of liquidity. And what I mean by that maybe is a business sale, right? You started a business when you were 20, you sold it when you were 42 for $6 million, boom, liquidity, right? Well, that kind of answers the question where, where does the money come from? Well, it's a non-qualified investment account, right? It's almost impossible to save $6 million in your IRA or 401k over that period of time. So that's one tranche of people. The other tranche of people that I've seen that are financially independent early are planning it. They're thinking about this when they're in their 20s, going, how do I be financially independent when I'm 45? And so throughout that 20-year process of saving, they're saving into buckets that allow them access at different times in their life. So they're still using the 401k, but they're going, I can't touch that till I'm 59 and a half or 60. Now, to your point, there are ways to get to it early. They're less awesome, right? An SEPP, the stands for substantially equal periodic payments. It's a clause in the IRS code that allows you to take money out of your retirement accounts without a penalty before 59 and a half, as long as you follow these rules, but there's all those rules, right? right. So it's nice, but you know, you got to give back a little bit to the G. And just to clarify very quickly, and, and I'll hand the baton right back before we get a bunch of letters, we also know that in a 401k plan, you can get the money a little earlier than 59 and a half if you separated 
from service from there and you left the money there. So please don't write us about that. It actually can be easier than SEPP if you leave your money in the 401k. Back to you. A lot of things are easier than PP, but... Um, you down with SEPP? Yeah, you know me. I like that one. <laughs> that sounds like a song we should make up. We should... We, we Where's should, the... Uh, you and I shouldn't do it, but we should have some listener. If somebody is musically inclined and wants to make that a song. You should write D1 and see if he wants to make a parody on... You down with SEPP? Yeah, you know me. We down with SEPP? Yeah, you know me. Who down with SEPP? Everybody. Anyway, so back to the uh, regularly scheduled program. Yes. <laughs> so liquidity event or planning for it. So if you're planning for financial independence and you've got this runway of time where you're aggressively saving, you're going to be thinking about, okay, how am I going to get this money? If I'm wanting to be financially independent when I'm 45... I've got a period of time where I'm going to need that, you know? And so to his point that some people saving in regular brokerage accounts can be Roth IRAs and take the principal out and that sort of thing. Um, uh, it can be an SEPP. It just, it just, everybody's going to be uniquely different in that right, right. regard. Investments that pay ongoing dividends or distributions, real estate. Yeah, uh, it could be real estate, building uh, a real estate portfolio. Businesses that you're not actively involved in, but you're passively part owning where maybe you're getting sometimes I feel like I'm not actively involved in this <laughs> sometimes I think you're, you're like you do too you're like I, I kind of feel like you're actively not involved in this either <laughs> or I feel like you're way too actively involved there are times when I'm like whoa 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 easy oh boy. yeah thanks for hey, the his Twitter account thanks for the question Ryan if you've got a question for us and by the way congratulations on the Six kids. Remember, Ryan, those kids are going to take care of you later. Remember that. Yeah. Just well, that, that could be your retirement plan. There it is. You've got some pretty good chances that one of them will be a doctor. Then you'll be six peons way the richer instead of <laughs> six peons and on the rich. I love that. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com. And at the top of our website, you'll see questions for the show. Click on that link and it'll show you all the fun ways you can get a hold of us. And by the way, here's the difference between Ryan and Andy. Andy's taking home, not this actual t-shirt I'm wearing today. How bad would that be? I mean, a jersey we wore on the show. <laughs> signed. <laughs> like like people get those the signed jerseys from baseball players. Here right. you here you go. I sweat on this during the Wednesday recording. That'd be horrible. No, we're 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 probably not gonna do that. But this t-shirt I'm wearing awesome. today, the uh, greatest money show on earth. Andy's taking on one of those. Ryan's not because Andy called the Haven Lifeline and that's who gets the shirt. So good stuff there. Hey, guess what? Coming up on Wednesday, we got a great show. Gary Burnison coming down to the basement, ditch the resume, land the job. Talking about everybody's got their resume or man, I haven't updated my resume. Gary Burnison's going to talk about maybe you shouldn't be thinking about the resume. And maybe even if you're not looking for a job, maybe you should always be thinking about your next job. So Gary Bernison gonna help us to tell me something. Make make more money. Yeah, maybe you're way too involved in this. And and subliminal message. And lastly, to keep uh, OG in business with his other job, so he doesn't get too overly involved here. Head, head to nice. stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG to see what it would take to get him helping you with your financial plan and having him in your corner. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, man, what should we have learned on this here podcast? So what did we learn today? First, are you tired of the oh cycle? Start with building an emergency fund. And second, start tracking your income. You might be surprised about all the little expenses you find. 
Second, your cash fund is inside of your brokerage account. That's not a great place to build a cash reserve. Use resources like Magnify Money to find better paying reserves. But the big lesson? Don't play the lottery to build your guaranteed income stream without talking to Joe's mom's psychic friend first. I'm about to start doing that, and I'm sure that's the key to finally winning my millions. Special thanks to Kristen Wong for hanging out with us today. You'll find her book, Get Money, wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to Joe's mom's psychic friend for agreeing to meet with me next Tuesday. How did she know that Tuesday was the day I'm free? Already I can tell this woman is a lifesaver. All right, after show time. Please do not talk about the after show anywhere. Do not. Please don't. Do not talk about it. Didn't we recently have somebody write on the Facebook page about the after show? No, somebody called in and said that 45, Stacy called in and said that 45 seconds before the after show is really relaxing. <laughs> like, what's so the, annoying? What the hell are you doing, Stacy? I know. I read an article the other day that I thought was perfect fodder for all of the people out there that think that you can't beat the market, right? But it's not about stock market investing. I'll find it and I'll send it to you so you can put it on the show, but it's super long. Like I started reading, I'm like, oh, this sounds like an interesting story. And I'm reading it. I'm like, gosh, darn, how long? My thumb was getting tired scrolling. How many times did I scroll this website on this uh, story? Here's the long and the short of it. So here's this man in Battle Creek, Michigan, whose job it is, is to do packaging for Kellogg's. That's his job. So he's looking at his competitor products all the time, trying to see what General Mills is doing and trying to see what Post is doing in packaging and that sort of Makes thing. Makes sense. And one of the things he notices is that at the bottom of every one of his competitors' boxes is a code stamped in the bottom. 
And so it doesn't take him very long to figure out how to decipher the code. That's he, he says, oh, I know what this means. This means that this box of cereal was made on this day at this plant on this line. And he runs, the, runs it up the food chain, and he's so proud of himself. His boss are like, yeah, great. Good story. And he says, oh, okay. So he kind of turned into this like kind of sleuthy puzzle reading between the lines on the numbers guy, right? So after a career in, in cereal, decides he doesn't want to live in Battle Creek anymore, buys a convenience store in middle of nowhere, Michigan. Right. But does a ton of research on making sure that he's the only convenience store. He specializes in selling beer and cigarettes to the factory workers, you know, three shifts a day. And the story goes about how he totally gamed the system. Right. He figured out how he could turn down the he could he could put his beer fridge on defrost at like 2 a.m. So then when, you know, third shift guys got out of work at 6 a.m. and came in, the beer would be all frosty. And it just looks, you know, after you know, days worth of work. It just happened to be in the middle of the night. They'd, everybody would grab a six pack, you know? And, uh, he also owned a lottery terminal and never thought too much about it. One day he's looking at the lottery games and he starts thinking about the way the lottery game works. And he lived in Michigan. And so this, this game that came out was a new game for the state of Michigan. And he starts thinking about, it. he says, that math can't be right. And so he starts doing the math and lo and behold, the math wasn't right. He was the guy that figured out that the lottery was broken. And so he starts doing all this research about how much can you bet on the lottery, you know, all this stuff to make sure it's all legitimate, right? And so this guy is dropping $50,000, $100,000, weekly lottery purchases because uh, he's figured out how to game the system. The part of the story I like is that he didn't tell his wife when he started doing yes. it. Well, of course, because... It's just like active stock trading, right? <laughs> if you've got the inside edge, you don't want to tell anybody. Plus, you're probably wrong. <laughs> right, right. There is a flaw you haven't thought of. Yes. So you're probably not correct. And so he maybe had a little self-consciousness about thinking, well, it's not going to work. And anyway, so then he, he pulls all these other people together. This dude is killing it, right? Making millions of dollars. Like, what do you make? Six, eight million dollars from the state of Michigan on gaming the system. Nothing illegal about it, but it pissed a lot of people off. Well, eventually the state of Michigan figures it out, right? How they come shut down the game. How come we're writing so many checks to this one dude? Yeah. So they shut down the game. One of his buddy calls and says, I think the state of Massachusetts just started up a similar game to Michigan. So then he starts driving. Can you imagine driving across Canada with satchels of money? Because, you know, you can't pay lottery and like credit card, right? So you got to bring cash. And he's buying $100,000, $200,000, $500,000 a week in lottery tickets at this particular game because he figured out how to game the system. So I guess at the end of the day, he ended up with about $27 million, I think, total in proceeds. Split that between a whole bunch of people that kind of were part of his consortium. Massachusetts figured it out, too. Although in Massachusetts, he had some competition. Harvard and MIT guys also figured it out. (laughs) So they were doing the same thing. So his winnings weren't as great, but it lasted a little bit longer. So for all you active stock pickers out there, hey. I, I, I guess maybe you can do it. This guy figured well, out how to game the lottery. There's a great so maybe you can game the stock market. One of my favorite books is uh, Stock Market Wizards. Have you have you read Stock Market Wizards? No. And it's a fantastic read where he profiles these people that have beaten the stock market. And what's interesting about it 
is that they all have a strategy. That's number one. They're not just doing what their buddy does, right? They do kind of what this guy does. They figure out what they think is a flaw. They've got their angle. They manipulate that flaw. And person after person, women and men say, they're like, you know what? That opening only stays open so long. And then it goes and you got to find the next one. And then you play the next one. You play the you play the next thing. And it's it, it it's just fascinating. It's fascinating reads, especially when you worked in retail personal finance. So people that go after six months of an asset allocation strategy, which has years and years of history and experience, and they're like, "Yeah, this doesn't work. I need something else." And then six months later, "Yeah, I we should do this other thing." Yeah, this other and you see people losing not because of the strategy, but because they're jumping around all the time versus these very disciplined. I mean, that's, that's the big thing I got out of this book. Wasn't there's ways to beat the stock market. It's that discipline wins the day. Yeah, absolutely. does. Yep. And if you find a lottery flaw, this is more for you, Doug, (laughs) the best thing to do is just take like half a million dollars and throw it at it because you're probably right. But what happened the first time he did it, he lost. Did he? Yeah. The first, his first, he put like 10 grand in week one. And lost it all. And was like, oh. No wonder he didn't tell his wife. And then rechecked it and was like, no, my math is still right. I'm going to try it again. And then uh, and then, then took off. So so it wasn't, it was a flaw where the odds were better, not a flaw where he was going to win every single bet. Correct. But there was, there was a break point. Like if he bet enough, he was guaranteed to win because of the way that the odds were. I got you right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if he bet a dollar, he was still... You know, he was still below the threshold of guaranteeing a win, but because he bet three hundred thousand, just the odds were in his favor. He was gonna now he had three hundred thousand different tickets, different combinations, or whatever. I talked earlier about gambling. Well, w- well, we even talked about it here about uh, teaching my son how to play craps, but we won some money. It was it was very funny that we won some money, and I was glad my son, by the way, lost because because we were winning. This is easy. We were winning every time we went to the craps table. There was one time at Bally's where we had to play more a more expensive table. I like the $5 table because you don't have to put so much money on a single roll. And I won't get into how craps works, but if you are playing a $5 table, you still might have $30, $40, $50 on a single roll, which still makes oh, a lot of money. Makes me think all the things I could do with that money. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking you're crazy. But when you go to a $10 table, then it just becomes, and we were at a $10 table once and I got up 20 bucks and went, I'm cashing out. I'm done. Yeah. See ya. I can't take I'm this. I'm done. Yeah. And Nick broke exactly even there. So besides that though, we won 80 to $125 every single time we played, which was amazing. And, and I didn't want him to leave with that. So he actually lost at the end, which was fantastic. Good news was he was losing the house's money that he already won. You know, I mean, really it was his money. Like somebody reminded me that yeah. they're like, no, 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 dude. You spent that in other places, it's still your money. But when we look at his gambling record, he ended in the positive. And the good news is he was ready to leave and not addicted at all. He's like, yeah, yeah, I don't like this game as much as I thought I did. Uh, so, Well, and he's a, he's a real math wizard too. Yes. So, so he's, he's totally got to be going, this doesn't make any sense. For every dollar, I, I might get 90 cents back. How does this make for a free hotel buffet i don't think that this is a good math (laughs) no no if you get out of there alive anywhere in the positive good for you man times now's the time to leave yes but after a series of rolls this woman was was rolling the dice 
And I realized that I was going to win money on every roll. This woman midway through her roll, and I kept progressively betting. And if you played craps before, you know that just increasingly you end up with maybe a little more money on the table than a little more. And you try to control that. But in the course of a long roll, you might end up with money on a few different numbers. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, gee, if this woman rolls anything except two numbers, I'm winning money and I'm already in the money. So at this point, even if I lose all the money that's in the table, if she rolls a seven or if she rolls this other number, which it has no effect on me at all, she's just going to roll again. I am now a money-making machine. Like every single time, every single time she rolls, I'm going to make some cash based on what's on the table. And I can't tell you what a phenomenal feeling that is. This guy must have felt like I have just a little bit of that feeling. And I was playing for nickels compared to what this guy that was playing for, right? At this particular time, I won $125 and I thought, I'm done. I got to go. I'm out of here. And Nick even said to me then, he's like, oh, dad, let's wait for the next roll. No, 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 man. I just won 125 bucks. I got to go. I seriously have to go. But just a great feeling when you've got that, uh, boy, that sounds like I'm a gambler, doesn't it? (laughs) Boy, just a great feeling. I could never lose. It was awesome. Then I lost it all. (laughs) And then I went to the bank to get another loan on the house and- and I came home and there's red tape on my door that said sheriff sale. I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded like a good thing. Yeah. Because sheriffs are awesome and sales are awesome. I love both. <laughs> you know, I backed the blue, so that's good. Walker, and Texas. Having a sale. So I went down to the courthouse and I was like, hey, there's something about a sale at my house. Woohoo! And there's a whole bunch of other people there also interested in the sale of my house. Apparently. Yeah. Well, they're Auction. Yeah. They're all going to give me money. Like, how great does this go? No matter who, who says something, it's always a higher number, which I'm pretty sure means more money for me. So sheriff sales are awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. I know you got to run. You've got do, a hot I do, date. Go. I, I do. I got to go. Where are you going? <laughs> I can't tell you where I'm going. You're going to the horse track, aren't you? Did we just get done talking about gambling? Hey. And how you probably... Oh, boy. Okay. What don't, a bad day to tell that story. Don't bet more than you can lose. So Mitchell Walker, who was our first guest of 2018, wrote The Pouch Plan, lives not far from the basement, came over and we recorded his segment. Then we went out and had some burgers. And while we're having burgers, he said, hey, my member of his family has a box at this beautiful old horse track in Hot Springs called Oaklawn. And it is a gorgeous looking facility from the outside. I've never been inside. And he said, do you want to go sometime? I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sounds fun. So today's the day I'm going to the horse track. But first, you got to stop by the home equity loan people. Right. Make sure. Right after I tell a story about the dangers of gambling, and man, do I love it. (laughs) But I'm not addicted. Anyway, (laughs) I I got to run, guys. I I swear, because I got the number four horse in the second race. (laughs) Got number four in the second race. He's a stallion. Look at those. Look at those. Thighs or whatever. I don't even know what you what are what do horses. Oh, have. seriously, I I never. You've known me for how long? At least a week. I never gamble Ed. much. <laughs> much. This whole show is a gamble enough for me. That's like that's it. What are, all, what are all those tickets that you keep sending me when it's time to do your taxes? You're like, can I deduct all this? <laughs> like, no, you have to have winnings to deduct losses, Joe. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> you got to balance it against some winnings. Yeah, yeah, no, not my thing. But uh, anyway, hope this number four horse in the second race is. If we don't ever talk to you again, it's because it's because it's because the number four did really well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. You took a long shot, and you're out. Tw- it's, Twenty to one movement. Twenty to one movement. You're like, I'm putting all my 401k money on horse number four in the second race. He's twenty to one odds. But baby, if he wins, Papa Bear getting some new shoes. Do you think that Jonathan and Brad over at Choose Fi would have me as a guest if I did that? (laughs) You'd go like you'd have a Business Insider article: How I retired early at fifty using these three steps. Step one: home equity loan. Step two. Bet on a horse. <laughs> Step three, dance the jig because I, I won big. <laughs> Clickbait. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.